0: The Uscape no. no. like
1: the the podcast. The podcast.
0: Hi, everybody, and I'm giving you my warmest, warmest smile over the airways. My name is Rachel Gardner, and next to me is Sat.
1: Oh, you, I thought you were leaving yeah, a dramatic pause. I
0: was. What is your name? Martin Saunders. And the reason that I'm smiling so warmly is that apparently today has been named Blue Monday. Is that right? I, I can't keep up with all these days that no. have been named. I don't know how how, how helpful is it. I, well, it's probably the so all... they can
1: sell something to you. It's
0: marketing, yes. But.
1: Um... But I, I think probably everybody needs a bit of a lift in January because this, yes. is, the st- this is the stage. I don't know about you. I'm absolutely yes. skint.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've got no money. No.
1: And also, you know, there's still a long time till payday.
0: Yeah.
1: And also, the nights are sort of drawing in and the days start mm. late.
0: And you haven't got the fairy lights around. There's I mean, no clear. fairy
1: lights. And do you know what? My local Starbucks has stopped selling eggnog lattes.
0: That is a terrible thing in your life. The rest of us are like,
1: woohoo, thank goodness. That is the darkness personified for me.
0: And also, I think if you have children in your life, it's the amount of plastic that you have in your house over Christmas. You suddenly, like the recycling by this stage is just like off the scale. So Blue Monday. So I think we need to just, at the beginning of this Monday, just acknowledge that we're not going to talk about Blue Monday. We're going to shake it it off. We're going to shake it off. In a Pentecostal way. Shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. So, we're going to get rid of that one because and, the yeah. best has always yet to come. Can
1: we say something positive to the yes, listener? Let's instead. say something
0: positive. You go for it. You, you always give me the may yous. I
1: always get you. But yes. right at the start of this podcast, yes. you must know yes. that you are special.
0: That's quite aggressive. You must know. You
1: must know that if, you. <laughs>
0: if you don't know, that's
1: that. Special. <laughs> if you. You, can
0: dream it. <laughs> you must do it. You are a tiger. Oh you are a tiger. Rawr.
1: Okay. That is, is that the sort Where of thing you do? That is, is, that is that not what you that's do? That's not
0: the maze. What do. do you do? I just do the May you know that there's a big, fat expanse of wonderful life out there, uncharted territory, that you're not supposed to be an expert. You're supposed to be an adventurous so and get adventuring, and the less you carry with you, the better. That's what we say to them. Boom!
1: <laughs> you are a tiger. <laughs> 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 oh,
0: but Jesus does love you. He loves your wildlife. Jesus wild loves life. tigers. He loves your one wildlife. <laughs> so. we we, sometimes we theme our podcasts those that listen regularly are like i have no idea what they're about we broadly talk about youth ministry we kind of open the lid and shine a light on something exciting it might be an old idea it might be a new idea it might be innovative whatever but something that we feel wow there's something here for us to learn and and that's happening today again but but kind of the overall theme of this podcast is around the sheer priceless treasure that we have in volunteers. Oh yeah. Which I think is really good. I heard a stat recently from somebody from the Nazarene College in Manchester, so train professional youth workers but they said that 64% of all the youth work done in the UK mm. is done by the Christian community they, they couldn't break it down mm. any more than that but if we broke that down and said what percentage of that is done by volunteers surely it would be a really large
1: oh percentage
0: don't you think? There
1: are churches where the volunteer takes the lead yeah. and 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 is doing almost like the work of a part time worker but somehow doing it for free Yes. in their spare time alongside like a a, a job as a primary yes. school teacher or a nurse or a builder or something yeah. and then you have this amazing army of volunteers who've stepped up to support those who are leading youth mm. work whether they're volunteers themselves or, or full-time workers or somewhere in between and uh, and i mean in my context like you know the number of volunteers that we have is the key mm. is the key yes. to our yes. our success. So we're doing re- we're doing great at the moment. You know, mm. I'm I'm really excited about the youth ministry I'm involved in, but very little of that's to do with mm. me. That the biggest factor in how well the youth ministry is going is the fact that we've managed to rally a whole number of volunteers mm. to give up a, a night every mm. single week to walk alongside young people to you Know clear up after young people mm. to pray for them, all that stuff really that's the secret, the that's why it's working. That's because those people are giving up mm. every single week, and that's the difference. I mean, I have lots of friends in children's work in mm. children's ministry, and one of the challenges in children's ministry is um, often you go on a rota and you do one Sunday yes,
0: absolutely. a month I'm or something like that. Yeah,
1: but talk. in youth ministry, our volunteers, some very and this is true sometimes in youth in children's ministry as well, but to characterize a bit in youth ministry volunteers often give up the same night every week mm. for I've got one volunteer Katie Cornish I'm going to name you Casey mm. Cornish amazing Casey Cornish for the last 10 years you know alongside being a mom and a school governor and all the stuff that she does she's also every week come mm. and done youth work amazing. and walked with uh, you know a whole generation yes. of young people now
2: um, you know,
1: th- those stories need to be yeah, told over and over again. absolutely,
0: absolutely. And I think when I bump into people who are what we would call the kind of higher echelons, classic, I don't know who's beeping outside. So can you hear this, Liz, You can now? hear this, there's somebody outside. Very rude. Yeah, um, very rude, illusion. But the high, sort of higher echelons of, youth, of volunteers have been doing it for absolute eons. Often they're very much like, oh, well, I only get about 39 come to my home every Sunday lunchtime for lunch. Yeah. And, and it's been like that for 20 years. And you think, oh my goodness, I think mm. maybe we don't do enough, those of us that have the opportunities to speak publicly on this, to say how, not that's just filling a gap that, that a professional hopefully Absolutely one day will right. fill, but there's something profoundly unique about that. Um, and I've, I'm a volunteer youth worker. You've you've been a volunteer youth worker. There's something very different about the headset of a volunteer youth. The other thing I think, the other point to make is that I think sometimes when we talk about volunteer youth work, the danger is that we're thinking of an old model Mm. that since we began to professionalize youth ministry doesn't exist anymore. Mm. But I think the new models absolutely have to be about volunteers. If we want to see this generation reached, we need a mass movement of of volunteers. And so it's really great to say that our guest today, I think represents both represents an organisation that's been around a lot longer than the rest of our organisations often. Mm. They have a real track record, a legacy of volunteers, but also understanding how to move that into the future so that it's it's kind of a new approach to volunteering and it is the wonderful scripture union which probably most of us have some beautiful stories of going to a scripture union camp or mm. bible um, summer holiday club or well, you've Irish done camp. the bible notes bible notes you've got some connection everybody's yes.
1: got it's like delirious yes, everyone's got a scripture got union story. story
0: we do it's brilliant
1: so here he is uh miles McBean. So, my guest today on the Youthscape podcast is uh, Miles McBean, who is the new head of Scripture Union England and Wales.
2: Yes, is that right. I'm not very new in a sense of I've been about a year into the job well, okay. uh, as National Director of Scripture Union England and Wales. If people are listening to this from elsewhere, they've got another National Director.
1: That's right. So, and you are Scottish.
2: I am Scottish by birth, but uh, I've lived down here 30, 35 years. The accent hasn't changed too much. No. Although when I was in Scotland and working with young folk there, I would have some come up to me and say, are you English, mister? <laughs> because my accent's actually very soft for a Glasgow accent.
1: Ah, okay. Well, um, so so you, you just said to me, fair, let me, let me, um, t- tell me if I'm too soft talking yes. about the the volume yes. of the uh, the microphone. Uh, I, was, I shan't mention if your accent goes too, too <laughs> soft. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to tell. Um, so, uh, so you've had quite an interesting career up to this point um, and not not all of it in, in kind of youth ministry by any means no. uh, or even in what you would call conventional ministry. You have had some really fascinating jobs. So do you want to just take us a little potted history through sure. Miles sure. McBean's career?
2: Yeah. I mean one of the wonderful things um I'm sure you've found the same experience as the way that God weaves things together in a way that he could only plan and there's probably three threads that he's been uh wrapping around each other in my life and uh, one of them was professional um when I was a, a a younger man um I was really interested in science in physics and these sorts of items, and so I did a PhD uh, eventually in uh, what was called at the time quantum optoelectronics, which was all very exciting stuff, and then rolled into a a career where I was making fancy semiconductor optical widgets. Wow, Um, to do what kind of thing? um, Well, back in the days, we're talking late 80s, early 90s, to give my age away, um, putting optical fiber across the Atlantic and the Pacific to start to make the thing that became the internet work, you needed to turn light back into electronics and then back into light again. And so I was making these little things, designing, uh, de- and then putting into manufacture these little things that went under the, under the sea in these fiber optic cables. I feel like I could
1: part. go down a rabbit hole here because that sounds really interesting. Now, just, just one question so I understand this. Did they actually run a cable like from America oh, to
2: England? There's, there's, there's many now, that really? go across it. And in fact, although we think of the web, you're really getting me on into geeky world. No, no, here. this is interesting. But although we think of the web as Wi-Fi and radio and all the rest of it, at its core, still are actual armoured bundles of fibres that go across the seas, and. People are now getting quite worried because submarines can find those cables and be ready to crack them whenever they want to. And I feel like like we've stumbled
1: onto like a fascinating science podcast. Yeah, but we should we We should should go somewhere. So that was the first thing you did. Yes. Then where did you go?
2: Well, um, I was around uh, as the internet began to be designed uh, and developed and come out of the labs in America and so I was working for British Telecom at the time um, and had got into a position where I had begun to play with my team at content on this emerging internet and it was a fairly uh, rare set of skills and um, so I then sort of surfed, my career surfed uh, on, on the web for the next 20 odd years, 25 years Um, Around 2000, Disney knocked on my door and I I went off to join uh, Disney just as they were trying to industrialize their internet presence, Ah. Uh, working in London but looking after the technical side of their web presence outside of North America and eventually looking after the the business side of the internet business or the, the web business in Europe, Middle East and Africa. Was
1: that as cool as it sounds, working for Disney?
2: Well, it certainly is cool, was cool. Um, Disney's internal brand isn't exactly the same as its external brand, in Uh. that it is a very hard-nosed business. It survived for decades and decades because it is really focused, it knows what it's about. But actually, there's a lot of interesting things come out of that into my world and your world now um, about a focus on on the end user, Mm -hmm. the guest, as Disney would say. Um, I'm really looking to excel at understanding that, that guest and giving real quality. Walt Disney, and that's rolled over into the company, believed that if you created something that was compelling and of quality, the money would flow mm. and the business would then look after itself. And that in many ways is carried uh, across into the modern day. Um, so that thread of sort of professional life was going on, but, but in my f- in my personal life, um, Scripture Union in my very early days was a very big part of my life. Uh, mm. About a year into my faith, um, my following of Jesus, the 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 man who was he was about two or three years older than me had been influenced by Scripture Union and started up this wonderful youth fellowship that really put God's Word at the center. Um, and was really evangelical in its outlook. He said, Miles, I can't go to Scripture Union Camp next summer. You're going to go and s- for me. Oh, okay. So off I went, as very young in the faith, and witnessed older leaders at that event, uh, you know, team members, who were just an eye-opener to me because they were, this was a boys' camp, men, men's staff. They were real men fooling around, joking, so into their sports, just like me, but they put really into practice, simply, simply, I say, but wonderfully sitting down together, prayerfully opening the Bible, allowing the Holy Spirit to talk to them through the Scripture, and just quietly, unassumably, humbly expecting it to change their lives. Mm. And that just blew my mind, didn't it? So after that, I worked at, in the school, in the university holidays and the like, as a, um, a leader at camp, eventually became an assistant overall camp leader, eventually became a camp leader, met my wife through there. She was a cook, uh-huh. um, met my wife there. My children, as they came along, uh, became camp mascots and then, and then went into the camp and everything. So scripture union, was a very big part of that and so for many years we used to drive back up to Scotland to get involved with Scripture Union camps even though we were down in Suffolk while I was working for for BT so that thread was there as well of Mm. a real heart for youth work children's work so that when we in every church we've been in uh, we were heavily involved in the youth and the children's side of of church life and that was like the third thread very uh, very interested in communicating the gospel and God's mm. word, mm. got very uh, early into preaching and teaching, um, and in the church uh, tradition I come from, uh, preaching elder type roles mm-hmm. within uh, independent evangelical churches.
1: When, when you were in that sort of phase of, of first going along to camps, and you, you experienced um, what you've described there in, in the leaders ahead of you, well, do you think you were aware at the time that that's what was having an influence and an impact on you and shaping you? Or is it looking back, you go, oh, that's why I think I took it more seriously myself?
2: I think it's a mixture of both. I think you recognise something's going on, but it's really only later in life, in the rear view mirror, as it were, mm. that you see the magnitude of the impact. And I think that's... the s- that's so much the case in life, isn't it? Mm. I, maybe this is just me, but I feel that it's very often in the rearview mirror that you can see a little bit more of God's perspective in weaving the threads of yeah, your life absolutely. together. Um, I just literally got a letter today that warmed my heart. Um, somebody had got our our Scripture Union prayer magazine, quarterly prayer magazine, recognized my name from my undergraduate course at, ah. at Strathclyde University in Glasgow. It is quite a memorable name. It is indeed and wrote, wrote a letter to me um, just saying, Miles you don't remember I'm sure but on the first day when we were getting together in year one they asked us to turn to the person next to us and talk a little bit about our background hmm. and, and this is a Christian gentleman. He was obviously a Christian then and he said you probably don't realize how amazing it was for me to find another disciple there next to me to wow. talk to me and that was another example of only seeing it in, in hindsight wow. uh, and in retrospect.
1: So you, uh, you then have this third thread that you talk about and that actually took you into after your time at Disney took you into a different kind of full-time Christian work is that
2: right? That's right um, I'd love to say I felt called, um, but that would be um, to be a little bit, um, a little bit too polite about myself. I had, if I'm honest, while really committed to church work and and and, and, and life, um, living out my faith, I had perhaps got a little bit to my my vision had become a little bit blinkered by full-on media world jetting around from one big five-star hotel to another, going to, I don't know, premieres of Disney movies here, there, and everywhere. Um, and it took, it took God to come along and grab me by the scruff of the neck and slap me around the face and say, watch my lips, Miles. Mm-hmm. And, and what had been a really succulent career that I know I was there for a reason and God wanted me there, it suddenly turned to sand in my mouth over about six months. Wow. And I knew, and my wife and I knew, that it was time for us to, to change direction. Mm. And uh, as soon as, again, my it's me personally, my worship style, rarely do I get on my knees in my prayers. To some of your listeners, that will be terrible to say, but um, that's my way. For probably only the second time in my life, I found myself in a big posh hotel in London getting down on my knees and saying, that's it God, over to you. Uh, This is wrong. And uh, within weeks, he'd sorted it out, had a nice exit from that company uh, that gave me enough time to go off and do uh, a few things. Mm. One was some lovely uh, people that I knew very well, who had been out in ministry for a long time overseas, said, miles. You need to take some time to decompress and learn God's timelines and God's time scaling. You're you're moving far too fast. So we did that. Second, I'd always wanted to do some formal theology training. I'd been doing theology on the hoof, self-taught, listening to wonderful preachers for so long, but I'd never got the theological framework, the, the this the sort of formal framework to hang mm, that up. Yeah. So I went off to Moorlands College down on the south coast and did a a master's in applied theology there over uh, two and a half years or so by distance learning. And then um, I did some work with another ministry helping uh, church planters in Europe um, using again my sort of organizational business skills. Mm And then we felt very called to go overseas. Um, the children were old enough to look after themselves for a while and the parents were young enough to look after themselves for a while. Yeah. And so my wife and I, um, Ruth, we went off to Malawi for three years, short term, very very explicitly three years um, to, avoid, to avoid building in uh, more dependency with the people that we were helping. Mm. Um, and to make sure that as we went in, we were building our exit path. Mm -hmm. And that was an amazing time. Where God, in a way that we couldn't have understood, brought all those three strings to the rope together in Mm. roles which allowed my mix of of experience and gifts and skills and roofs to come together in a wonderful way.
1: Can you give us a story from that time of how you saw God... Uh, moving through the work that you did out there. Uh, we often hear people talk about how they see God much more in, in uh, a continent like Africa. So what, what, what would be one experience that you had?
2: Oh, there's, there's a myriad and I'm not sure how I would pull them together into a coherent story, but um, the first thing as Westerners, even though I traveled the world, I traveled from one major city American hotel to another, As Westerners, I think coming face to face with the realities of the majority of our brothers and sisters around the world who are Mm. literally, in Malawi's case, third poorest country in the world Mm. under most metrics, living from day to day, literally earning today what you use to buy food for your family in the evening and then starting again the next day. Mm. And when we met together with our, with our colleagues, our, our Malawian colleagues, to pray in the morning, I can never remember, never forget the shock when they genuinely, genuinely started their prayers. Thank you, God, for waking me up this morning. Mm. Because so many of their friends, their family, um, die yeah. just because of the... So that's, that's that reality of mm. God being present mm. uh, in their lives and sustaining and holding them. Um, Then seeing the real heart of people who, to us Westerners, following the false, imbibing the the false guidance of of our society, no matter how hard we try, these brothers and sisters who have so little, sharing so much. Mm -hmm. Here's a third one which might sound a little bit negative and a little bit the wrong way around. But the other thing that I learned that's helped me so much coming back to the UK, because when you come back, even after three years, you're never the same. You're a third generation, you're a you're a you're a third culture adult, just like we talk about third culture children, you know, mm-hmm. the, the um, because you're never quite able to look at your own culture again. Because Helping disciples in Malawi from outside their culture, you begin to see how they have synthesized their own culture and the gospel, and you can help them to tease that apart. But then you become convicted yourself when you think of yourself and you come back to your own culture and you see brothers and sisters in our culture who have imbibed the world's culture in a way that perhaps is very difficult to recognise if we've never been able to step out of that. Mm. Conte- that synthesis that happens. Uh, so that was a hugely important lesson for, for me as well.
1: So um, you've ended up now, uh, uh, as I ended up, there may be other exciting chapters. You may end up an astronaut or something. But uh, But at this point you find yourself uh, at Scripture Union, mm. England and Wales, mm. uh, and uh, in this role that you've been in for about a year. Sorry for calling it new. It's
2: um, oh, okay. It still is very new in a sense, is. isn't it? After one hundred and fifty-two right. years, yeah. So, uh, what
1: what has the first year been like, and sort of what uh, what it, what if you can kind of um, uh, give us a, a kind of rough picture? What's going on at SU, and what does the immediate future hold?
2: Uh, my American friends that I work with for so many years—they used—they have this phrase called "drinking from the fire hose." Yeah. I don't know if you've heard that, but you I can haven't. imagine what it's like—the full-on flow of water, and you're trying to drink from it. And, okay. and that certainly um, this whole year, but especially the first six months, have felt very much like that. I had a really deep understanding of Scripture Union in Scotland in the 20th century. Mm. And I, I realized very quickly I had to be very careful not to bring those presuppositions with me and to really absorb, before I thought of anything else, to, to absorb the culture, the intention, the people of 21st century SU in England and Wales. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was very brave of them to take a guy with an accent like this, um, whose experience was with SU Scotland. And, um, and and allow me to take on this this wonderful role. So I spent a, a lot of the first six months uh, travelling around, meeting with the teams that are in different parts of England and Wales, le- meeting volunteers, what we call local mission partners who are uh, independent trusts who are associated with us and and really embedding Scripture Union into the local environment and listening and feeling and that was wonderful. One of the things that that really came home. Uh, and it's the same, it's, I know it's the same with, with Uscape. it's the same with so many uh, similar organizations, The passion and commitment of volunteers, yeah. that real passion, commitment, gifting, and expertise. Yeah. And it hammered home to me a truth that has been one for, with Scripture Union since uh, 18, uh, 1876 when uh, they, they first were formed which is we are a volunteer-driven movement. Mm. Um, we are about supporting the gold dust, which is these volunteers who day-to-day, week-to-week, year-to-year are looking to live alongside children uh, and young people. So that was that was really, really important for me. Mm. The other thing I could see is that the, the fundamental principles that come out of a a good reading of scripture, um, but also some of the canonical, the base DNA of scripture union are still so valid today, Mm -hmm. and probably will be valid forever until the Lord comes again. Uh, For example, that absolute passion and belief that the first few founders had, which was revolutionary then, but less so now perhaps, that children can and should be allowed to explore the Bible for themselves and we can trust that with a little bit of coaching and guidance and mentoring, the Holy Spirit will work and they will be able to find and respond to the Lord Jesus mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And that was wonderful then, revolutionary then. You know, we, we talk about inductive Bible study nowadays as if it's so new <laughs> and we say, hey, this is wonderful. We can apply it to young people and to children, even. Back in the, the late 1800s, Scripture Union came out with, with Bible reading passages on a card and five, I think it was, questions, inductive questions for children themselves to engage with Scripture. Mm-hmm. And that's still at the heart. Um, children, young people, uh, the Bible. Um, and God coming together in that unique twist, which is Scripture Union. Mm-hmm. How do we apply that though to today? And that's what you, I, we're all trying to, uh, with the Holy Spirit's help, get our head around. And, and really, how can we implement it? And implement it um, with um, at the scale that will make an r- impact on mm-hmm. a world where. 95% of the children and young people in our society come nowhere near a church mm. or a Christian or a Christian organization at mm. any stage. Mm. We're, in a, we're in a post-Christendom world in a way that well, we haven't been for, for thousands of years. Mm. Um, I say post-Christendom, we'll never be in a post-Christian world. I balk when I see my friends and colleagues writ, write that we're in a post-Christian world. We'll never be in a post-Christian world, praise God, mm. but we are in a post christendom world, yeah. and that brings real challenges when, 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 when young people, at best, think we're irrelevant, mm. and at worst, think we are really part of the problem. Yeah, malevolent. Malevolent. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're part of the establishment who have mm. let them down big mm. time. There, mm. there are. They're a generation who will struggle to find a, a long-term job, who will struggle to have a house, who will struggle in so many ways. We see um, them quite rightly worrying um, about the the environment that, that I have, have passed on to them and mm-hmm. feel terrible about. Mm-hmm. However, I also would say it's the greatest opportunity we have, now this might be overplaying it a bit, but since Constantine, because we are no longer in an environment, a Christendom environment, where so many young people of my generation, you know, I'm an old fogey, but were inoculated by a false gospel mm. that said it was about what you do or what mm. you own, even, even within the church, that that's what we're about. And so we can come fresh, like Paul and Peter and the disciples, and come fresh and show that Christianity is none of that. Mm. It's about a real fulfilling personal relationship with Jesus who can walk alongside you in your triumphs and in your challenges. Mm. And that's wonderful, it's a huge mm. opportunity for us all. And do you feel like
1: um, Scripture Union's piece of the puzzle is is actually around, it, the clue's in the name, is it around Scripture, is it around getting the Bible relevantly into the hands of of children and young people, or is it different or bigger than that? I, I,
2: uh, I think it's at the core, it's in the name, Scripture and Union. Um, it's union in the old Victorian sense of being a cooperative. Um, so at the core is this idea that we are a movement with thousands, probably close to 10,000 volunteers at some stage in the in the year uh, working with us, with a nucleus of, of, of staff. But also that at its heart, as I've already mentioned, at its heart is this this principle, as Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Mm-hmm. Don't You don't need to force them. You don't need to give them a framework. You don't need to tell them what to think. Let them come to me. And that a major place for finding that is, as I found on the camp and as the old chorus that I was taught as a little boy many, many years ago, at its core is read your Bible, pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. Give opportunities, create opportunities for the children and young people in a way that's appropriate for their context today to engage with the Bible prayerfully and open to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And let's raise up a generation of disciples who are willing in a way I know you're doing in Youthscape as well. Raise up that generation of, of mature disciples who aren't particularly interested in this program or that program, no disservice to Scripture Union or Youthscape programs, but their primary focus is being vulnerable and open uh, to walk alongside these young people Mm. for the long term Mm. because almost every child in today's day and age has suffered from some form of loss or disturbance or or the like and that persistent open trustworthy individual To walk alongside them is the greatest gift that they're looking for. Mm. Because the other opportunity for this generation, which too many of us church folk are getting so down about, is that they've realized, they've realized that they're, they're standing on sand rather than bedrock and they're desperately looking for spiritual bedrock. And if only we, as the church, could get over our fixation on being part of the establishment of being part of authority and got out of our both both physically and metaphorically got out of the box Mm -hmm. to go where the children are but the gospel isn't and to allow them to explore the Bible and that's what we're all about. I know it's what you're all about yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I, I'm, I'm struck by that last uh, uh, thing you, you you said about um, uh, going for the long term, walking for the long term with uh, children and young people, particularly in, in an era where they have so little security uh, that anyone's ever going to be around for very long in their lives. Um, and there's lots of upheaval, lots of change in a young person's life. Um, the challenge, of course, for any kind of employed youth worker listening to that is, oh, i probably gonna you know, maybe do two or three years in this role and then move on somewhere else. So I think what it comes back to is another thing that you said, which is the central role of the volunteer. And, uh, and so as, as all of us involved in, in paid youth work capacities have to be investing in our, our volunteers, recruiting them and, and training them up and, and envisioning them for long haul volunteering.
2: Amen brother, absolutely. And again, not to do disservice to those of us who are in, and I now am in, in a sense a paid youth work. Mm-hmm. I think one of the challenges I've seen in the decades is the commercialization, the professionalization of youth work. And that's no disservice to the youth workers. But so often then a local church, the tendency might be for the, the membership, the congregation, whichever word we want to use from our church tradition, can step back a little and say, oh, it's that guy's job, we paid mm-hmm. them. Mm. So yeah, I think we, we need to in some way try to get back to basics where we as organizations, Youth Scripture Union, working with those who are close to us who maybe paid uh, youth workers, we are about equipping, um, envisioning with volunteers who are willing to give up such valuable time and prayer um, and, and gifting you know, our volunteers coming to camp, not, they not only come to camp as team members, they pay for the privilege yeah. and then use their holiday vacation. It is yes, amazing. Yeah, and, is and amazing. And, and it, it is just, just amazing. So to raise up people who are dedicated like that, and it doesn't need to be young people. As I've walked around, if I've gone to camps, I've found people you might think of as in the age bracket of older brothers and sisters, mums and dads, and grandmas and grandpas, in fact, in one case you might even say great grandmas and grandpas because children have radars and they they're the most fine-tuned radar of, an, of a children or young person today is a radar for hypocrisy. Mm. And that means the radar is very fine-tuned as well for genuine authenticity, That's right yeah And so whatever age you are, If a child or young person sees somebody who's genuinely interested in them for their own sake, regardless of the path they take, even with Jesus, that's genuinely interested for their own sake and wants to get alongside them, age is irrelevant. When I came over here um, to work... Uh, I moved we moved to North Bedford to be near near Milton Keynes from Suffolk for three months while we sorted out house moves terrible at this time isn't it at the moment trying to get a house chain. I spent three months uh, living lodging with a couple and they were real eye opener Um, I'm not going to mention names because they might hear this and they'd be embarrassed because um, the the lady of the house Um, was probably 10 years or so older than me so that means with the children she was working she would be grandparent age the the gentleman uh, suffering from a a debilitating um, nerve affecting disease and they were still full-on for the children in their village that lady was was one of the best examples I've ever found who's somebody who's simply their heart overflowed with care for these young mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and the young people saw it yes. and the gentleman would go week in week out to do what he could which for him was to sit at the table to meet the parents and the children and register them into their weekly group mm-hmm. and to talk with the parents and the children as they came in and show his love there mm-hmm. that's the kind of people that we need to find and engage with and encourage and to show the value that comes back. Maybe not immediately, but you must be in the same position where maybe three or four years, three or four decades later, people come up to you and talk to you about what they see in their hindsight mirror. Ruth and I ended up in Malawi, in the second city of Blantyre. And we were in a, a church meeting and this guy with a mild Scots accent came up to me and he said, Miles, you won't remember me. Huh. But I was in a camp back in the early nineties when you were the camp leader. And I can still remember X, Y, and Z wow. that you saw. And that's what we, that's the gift in a way we want to encourage volunteers yeah. to pick up. That yeah. when, uh, when we face the Lord, when he comes again or on our last day, um, we're not presenting to him, I sold a few more cuddly toys for a major global operation. But that I put myself in a position where God could use me. It wasn't me, it was God using me. And these fellows that are around me, uh, we're influenced by God through the work of, of this group or that group or this conference or that meeting. That's what we all want to see, isn't it?
1: Beautiful. Miles McBean, thank you. Um, we, we, you're off now to uh, have another go at the 95%. Next time you come on, let's let's pray, it's like 85% or something like that. Is, that, is there a target
2: number that you're working towards? Or? Oh, well... W- w- That's a very serious question. It is a serious question. It's a very serious theological question, which we won't get into too much. I presume you're heading for zero. But my (laughs) view is we should be looking to zero while recognizing that it is God's grace and the Holy Spirit that will ultimately decide. That's vision for you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you.
1: I mean, it's the, the pearly gates image, really, isn't it? Where you stand before the Lord and you look back on your life. I love that idea that actually mm. we're not going to be judged on how many cuddly toys we've sold. Yes. But about how many lives we've impacted and how yeah, we've allowed yeah. God to use us. And uh, I don't know about you, but in youth ministry, I think when we're in a poorly paid profession, mm. just to name something, to be really honest, there are moments where we do just think, maybe I should just earn a load of money in some <laughs> other job. You know, maybe I should just go and work for Disney like Miles did you know, maybe I should go and do something else and, uh, yeah. and, and, and just you know be, be able to provide for my family in a different mm. and more expansive way surely everyone who's doing youth work has had that thought at some point have yes. you had that thought? I mean yes. sales of the Girl Deconstruction Project are high obviously but, <laughs> but apart from that
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely. And then then the thought that goes with it is like, well, what am I skilled for? Like, if I can't have this, like, what else can I do? I bet you
1: could sell cuddly toys. Oh,
0: I don't think I could. But, But if anything, actually, there's such a unique set of skills and opportunities. It does feel... And, and, and the worst days like you're trapped yeah on the best days like i'm made for this i'm yeah. built for this and i think that when i look at like the national youth ministry weekend or i chat to people i meet around the country there's a build to a youth worker, not a mm. physical build but there's something about the way god puts them together and the way they allow this to shape them that i think you're beautifully unique and um recently someone said to me, stop using the word just. So now I will say to people, what do you do? Oh, I'm a youth worker. That's yeah. my leading thing. That's yeah. what I do actually. Yeah. The rest of the stuff is I might write about it, talk about it a bit, do it about this, do it all, but actually who I am is I'm a youth worker. I'm, yeah, I'm here to champion them. That's what shapes me most.
1: Yeah. And, and in our stronger <laughs> moments, in our stronger <laughs> yeah. moments we, we see it as Miles does in that interview yes. and think, actually, do you know what? What we're doing is significant. Yes. like Andrew Root was talking about this in, in an Divine episode work. last yes. year like, like there is no greater calling there's no more extraordinary thing to do yeah. with your life than to pass yeah. to young people so if you are listening to this on what is unfortunately Blue Monday yes. and feeling a little bit like oh man what am I doing with my life be encouraged yes. you matter you're doing an amazing thing yes. with your life and it's way more important than making a bit of money for someone mm,
0: absolutely. you can always have a tuck shop Hey, you can make money there make money there you can
1: I don't know about you I've really jacked up the prices on cola bottles I'm I making an absolute you.
0: fortune <laughs> lost property sell a lost property that's what I, what I say we wanted to talk to you about a really exciting project uh, to bring to your attention often at Youthscape what we do is we develop a resource a project we kind of pilot it and adapt it and then we sort of bring it to you once it's kind of ready for wider use but at the moment we've got a project on the go which is very much in the pilot stage and we wanted to talk to you About it, so we as Youthscape in Luton have been wrestling with this for years and years and years. Like how do we um, resource local churches and inspire local everyday people like us to do youth ministry, particularly if they've got other things in their life and this is not their paid role. And so over the years, Chris Curtis and Alex Drew and Jemima and a few others have been doing some fantastic work with local volunteers, looking at what it would take to develop a, a course really, isn't it, an evening course, that covers some key essential things that every volunteer youth leader needs to know. So covering character development, insights into youth culture, and core skills for youth right now. I'm a volunteer, I haven't got time to go to a three year weekly course, but I have got time there may be a course that's the length of Alpha, like a 10-week mm, mm. session. And that's what we're developing. It's called Youthscape Essentials. And if you have got your own copy of the game plan, then you'll find a little bit of info about it at the front. And we're in the middle of piloting this in April, both in Luton and up in the northwest in Preston, seeing how this resource lands with different communities.
1: Yeah, I, I have to say, of all the things we have worked on over the last yes. few years, this might be the most significant of all. It's so exciting. Because uh, what we're talking about here is, is really instigating a revolution in youth ministry, in getting uh, a whole generation of new people, mm. uh, and I say a generation, it's not really an age generation, it's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's movement. a, a whole movement of different mm. ages, actually, um, uh, to get involved in volunteering in uh, youth work. Uh, in in the local church context. And so we're trying to provide a uh, a kind of simple training scheme to sit behind that. Mm. Also, uh, we're running this initiative called Youth Work Sunday, mm. uh, which uh, in 2020 is on the 20th of no. September.
0: Yeah, that's
1: right. Yeah. Uh, and Amy was very pleased there. She nodded.
0: Yeah. Oh. She you nodded got it right. sagely. I got, I got <laughs> the date
1: right. So, on the tw- so we're running Youth Work Sunday, which is a, an opportunity for you and your local church to prioritise youth work and then say, hey, Mm. what about volunteering? But we've all done that notice and Mm. it never goes well. No, it never goes well. Um, But this actually is the, the meat that sits behind that, which is like, if you are up for volunteering, giving some of your time to young people, We will train you. And so you've got the insights into culture. You've got the youth work skills. You've got the stuff of your own character. And all together, the kind of curriculum works really cleverly together over 10 evenings. Yes. And you end up with a a pretty good introduction to youth work. Yes, and
0: some workbooks that go alongside it and free resources. Now, interestingly, I gathered a lovely bunch of leaders in the Northwest um, because we're going to pilot it across like Youth for Christ and Pays and uh, Blackburn, DYO and all, all the groups to sort of do this together, the Methodists and URC. And I had some wonderful colleagues, Aaliyah Pike and Anna from Nazarene College. And I, and I named the elephant in the room. I said, does your heart sink when you see this kind of thing? Like if you are trailing degree students in youth ministry and then an organisation does something like this, Do you kind of go, oh no, it's just watering down the stuff that we have to work so hard to like deliver for our students. And they, listen to this, they said, this is the kingdom of God we're building. Like, we need more of this stuff. And also, as they look through it, they said, do you know what, I bet there'll be some people that come on this and they'll go through it and they'll go, I want to be, I'm called into youth work. Yeah, Like, they, God is calling me. So I'm quite excited, and I hadn't thought about this that. This could be but the gateway. The gateway for recruiting volunteers. It could be that you have some people that you think, I think they could do this, I don't think they've got the, the kind of the sense of it yet, but coming on a, a really good quality course like this mm. might be enough to say, Oh, actually, I hadn't realized actually, The youth ministry meant this. I thought it was just this. So how exciting is that? So watch this space, dear people, because we will tell you more the moment that we can.
1: There is an email that you can email. If you're like so excited about this, because we we always go on about recruit, oh, get more volunteers involved in youth, that'd be great. This is a kind of tangible thing. If you're really excited about this and you want to get involved in the early stages of it, you can email essentials, at Youthscape.co.uk,
0: and actually can I put one more call out because the pilot we're running in the north west we're running it at Preston Minster and we're looking for 30 people that will come on the pilot to go through the material with us to help us feeds back to Youthscape mm. does this work in this context so we're kind of putting the feelers out to the churches in the northwest. so Blackburn, Blackpool Bolton, Burnley also places without a B, so Chorley you can come as well, that's absolutely fine, Lancaster but um, anyone that you think, oh actually we'd like to go along, we'd really want to help shape one of Youthscape's resources, we would absolutely love to hear from you, so rachel.gardner at youthscape.co.uk I'd love you to hear from
1: you. You just give out your email?
0: Well I have now because it's only people from Blackburn Burnley, Bolton, Chorley and Lancaster that will email me But back. now all the
1: super fans will be in I
0: mean, they can find it on the website too. Oh, it it is is on the website. I don't have any yeah. super fans apart from Charles. <laughs> Lovely Charles! Charles could Charles can't press
1: them. He probably would. He would. He is um he's from the north. He's from York, no, I think.
0: Is yeah, no, he's from York. Gosh, Southern boy. Anyway, so yes, get in touch if you'd like to come.
1: Well, that, was, that took a strange direction. Um, that's probably it for another yes. edition of the Escape podcast. We should do some shout-outs for uh, our friends.
0: Do you know what? Because it's a Scripture Union reference, I'm going to give a shout-out to Woody. Woody the priest, who now is a priest in Liverpool, but he was a Scripture Union staff worker in Farm when I started out as youth worker. Oh. And he had, had blue hair and his trick in assembly was putting a nine-inch nail up his nose. I Very believe. useful. Exhaled Angel, kind of. Amazing guy! Wow. Amazing guy! Let's just leave it there. this film buff ever. This He's amazing. This
1: time, the shout out is for it's Woody. Woody to, the priest. Put a nail up his nose. He did. Goodbye.